Hello everyone, good afternoon. Welcome to our uh, Saturday afternoon meditation Q&A. So I've asked Shraddha to be a little more um, well, we've we talked about it and the idea here is again, as I've said from the beginning not for this to be a chat session not for it to be about reading and talking and studying but to be about practicing so for the first part I'll talk a little bit, and everyone, you're welcome to post what you like in chat. Hello, good evening. Soti. Happy to have you all here. But once we get started on questions, the only thing we'll allow in chat is questions. Anything else, we're just going to remove it all. It's a little bit unpleasant. I acknowledge that. But I think it it's unavoidable because the habit, the way we approach any we approach this platform by default is one of interaction. We're inclined to focus on our interaction with others, which isn't what we want. It's not what we're looking for. Close your eyes. Shouldn't be looking at the screen at all. Should be focused on your own experiences. There's going to be questions, there's going to be answers. If you have questions to ask, post them in the chat. If you don't have questions to ask, don't post anything in chat. It's just a distraction for everybody. Have, if you have uh, feedback, positive, negative, that's fine, but not here. It doesn't help. You know, write feedback, then someone else replies, and then it becomes a whole distraction. We don't want that. You want to tell me how awful these sessions are? Well, you're welcome to contact me. There's ways of contacting. If you want to tell other people, well, there's lots of ways of telling people. Not here. If you want to say thank you or so on, well, we're just going to delete everything, even the good stuff. Good stuff, bad stuff. I don't know. If Shraddha wants to leave some good stuff up, I don't mind. I'm not going to tell her to, but there's a difference between good and bad stuff. See, if someone compliments you, you might think, well, are we partial to compliments? No, we think compliments are a good thing. If someone insults you, doesn't matter whether you're offended by the insult or not it's, it's just not a very nice thing to do it has nothing to do with how the person receiving the insult feels it's not very pleasant if you have some constructive criticism then there's a time and a place for that this isn't the time or the place for it We'd ask you, I'd ask you not to post compliments either we're not looking for them and it's still a distraction. 
So we haven't started yet. So for now, you just say what you like. But once we start, only questions. Anyway, welcome everyone. Already 50 people. Saturday afternoon, huh? Maybe this is a good time. Sorry, I missed a couple Saturday afternoons. Just because I miss one doesn't mean it's cancelled, doesn't mean we've stopped doing it. We may stop doing it at a moment's notice, but that doesn't know what it means. It means the universe is uncertain. You can't depend on anything. You can't depend on your expectations. If you do, you're just going to be disappointed. Well, you're opening yourself up for the potential for disappointment, which is dangerous. Suboptimal. A much better way to live is to be prepared for anything. To be above the vicissitudes of life so they don't make you falter or waver. Tremble. You don't tremble at the winds of change. But I'll try to be here. That being said, we'll try to have this session for a while now anyway. But who knows? Tomorrow, tomorrow everything could change. If you have questions, go ahead and post them. When we're ready to begin, I'll say ready, and then from then on it's questions only and everything else goes. Radha has kindly agreed to be the moderator. Hopefully it works. All right, so now we're going to start. If you have questions, go ahead and ask them in the channel. If you don't have questions, don't even look. Don't even open your eyes. Sit with your I've got my eyes closed. Close your eyes. We'll sit mindfully together. So from now on, questions only. Everything else, I'd ask Shraddha, just remove it. is it to become a sotapanna with only meditation? How long would you say would take from total beginner? That's not really a... See, it's, it's not really a fair question because it's so hard to... so hard to define total beginner. You see, total beginner, does that mean mosquito? Is a mosquito a total beginner? I guess you mean human, but a human isn't isn't even a total beginner. Humans don't come with clean slates. Because what I mean is each human is different. 
humans generally have some good in them, but we differ so much, we vary so much. It's an impossible question. Unless you're, well, no. It's an impossible question because it doesn't work that way. Unless you can define exactly what you mean by total beginner, but then it would be it would be only applicable to certain select group of people. Total beginner meaning that in this life I've never practiced meditation. Everyone is so different. How much they've done in the past, not just meditation, but other good things that are going to support them in the meditation. So hard to say. I can say this, that if a person practices intensely in our, intensively in our tradition, they seem to get some pretty good results after, let's say, maximum of a month. A month of intensive practice. Usually less than that, but up to a month. And sometimes more, let's say the average is a month maybe. No, the average should be less than a month, but can be more than a month. But whether that means sotapanna or not, I can't say. It's very much dependent on the individual. Mate, I think there's a follow-up question of what intensive practice is. Well, we have intensive meditation courses. Intensive is, I miss I misspoke and said intense in the beginning, and that that's not what I mean. Intense is different from intensive. Intensive means constant, means uh, not partial or part time. Like intensive care. It's not like intense. Intense means just pushing a hundred percent and then pushing more. Intensive can be very peaceful and and moderate, but it's constant. It means not working in in between, or certainly not chatting or playing or resting. It means sleeping little, eating little, talking little practicing as much as you can comfortably so we do courses like that beginner course takes about 21 days less if you've done the at-home course to prepare for it and then we have a, a review course which basically goes over it all again with a little more structure that takes 10 days but that's intensive practice is walking meditation as a standalone practice? 
effective. Well, walking meditation isn't really the practice. The practice is being mindful of the foot moving. And for that, it doesn't really matter what you're doing, walking or sitting, standing, lying. The point with walking meditation is it's not meant to be a standalone practice, just like sitting isn't meant to be a standalone practice. The point of walking is so that you're not sitting all the time. It's to keep the body moving for the benefit of the body and for the benefit of the mind to break things up, to shake things up. So the whole point of introducing walking meditation is that it's not standalone. It's complementary to sitting meditation to break things up, to simulate real life and that sort of thing. That's how it's most effective. Monte, just a note. I mean, I just want to make a note to the people who are reposting the questions. We generally ask questions that are related to the meditation practice first. And then if we have time, we go up back and ask other questions that are more personal or not directly related to meditation practice. Shraddha is logged in as me, so if it says I deleted something, she's deleting it. How's it going? Are people behaving? Yeah, I haven't had to delete many. For those of you who have just, for those of you who just joined, we're only allowing questions in the chat. We want to sort of test this out and see if we can keep people focused on themselves. Shouldn't be posting anything in the chat unless it's a question about practice. And if you don't have anything to post, any questions, then just. Sit with us, chill, take a break from all the thinking, focus on the thinking as thinking, thinking, focus on the emotions, liking, disliking, drowsiness, distraction, doubt, pain in the body, pleasure in the body, calm in the body. All right, go ahead. When I'm meditating and have a persistent feeling, do I continue to investigate it until it passes or let it sit in the background while I go back to my meditation object? No, don't worry too much about investigating it. Just try to note it. It's about reminding yourself. But yeah, stay with it until it goes away. If after a long time it doesn't go away, you can ignore it. But stay with it for some time. I sometimes want to meditate in another tradition. What can we decide? When can we decide whether it's right to make the change? Well, if a tradition isn't working for you, if you don't have good contact with a good teacher, or when you do, you find that the practice isn't really helping you see more clearly and free you from bad habits and so on. Practice is just winding you up and 
getting you engaged in further bad habits. It's probably a good sign that you should make a change. But sometimes wanting to meditate in another tradition isn't a good sign. That's sort of fickle. Just because you want to do something doesn't mean you should. In fact, it has no correlation whatsoever. We want to do lots of things that are harmful for us. So it's not a good reason to do anything, really. And in this case, you can see we can see that it's definitely a bad thing because it just makes you... Because of that, you change traditions. It's not a very good reason at all. So if you're going to change, it should be because you're just not going to do the old practice at all, not just because, oh, today I feel like doing another tradition. That's not a good reason to do anything. I'm having anxiety to the point where it affects my breathing in the stomach. I know that it's been going on for three weeks. What should I do? Well, note those as well. A big part of anxiety and working through anxiety is noting not only the anxiety, but the physical results of anxiety, and they're separate. Don't let the physical results perpetuate the anxiety because it's a cycle. You feel anxious, the anxiety builds physical sensations, the physical sensations make you anxious, and so on and so on. So try and cut, cut it off at both ends. Note the anxiety, but also note the physical sensations. Stomach is tense, say tense, tense. Doesn't matter, three weeks, three years, three lifetimes. The more The more objective you become about it, the less power it has over you. And you'll see. If you do that consistently, you'll find in no long time you're much less caught up by it. But it, you can't see that as you're doing it, because the doing it has to be just objective, not trying to make it go away. And it can feel like you're not having any effect on it. And that's a huge part of what we're trying to see, is that you can't... It isn't you who's making it happen. You don't have an effect over it. The effect is indirect. Through seeing clearly, the mind inclines away from it. It's focused solely on trying to see clearly. How does one cultivate compassion? What good does it do to be compassionate when we create our own suffering? Am I defiling myself if I intend to cause suffering to a being as a learning experience? One cultivates compassion by wishing for others to be free from suffering. It's just a good quality of mind. What good does it do? It makes you a better person. We create our own suffering by being cruel to others. So if you're compassionate, you're less cruel. Cultivating compassion is useful in that way. If you intend to cause suffering for others as a learning experience, it's probably very much associated with not only cruelty, but arrogance as well. 
because you have no um, you know, no real right to force those things on others. Even your children, it's not the right way to teach them, I think. The intention to cause suffering. Although it can be very difficult not to, I understand. It's not the right way. Even if you do have some duty to towards a specific person as their caretaker, their teacher, the best way is not to cause suffering. But there can be times where you have to speak truth, to, truth that is unwelcome. That's possible. The Buddha said you just have to know when. Because you have to be able to know that when you do, it's going to be taken in the right way, even though it might hurt them. It's the truth. And it's important for them to hear it. So that's probably the exception. But if it's just to hurt them, it's not really a very good way to teach a lesson. Are the foundation of the Dhammas just a more specific, extrapolated experience of the other three foundations? During the noting of it, what do we note when we see that it is part of the Dhammas? Oh, I, I, I only have a vague explanation of what the Dhammas mean. The Dhammas should really just be taken at face value. You read about them and then you'll know what they are. They are what they are. There's a set, there's a bunch of sets so read about them and then you know what they are for practice we generally only use the first two in in, in our tradition the, the, the what we focus on is we try and get meditators to focus on the first two sets of dhammas which are the five hindrances and the six senses Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking, try and note those. Liking, disliking, drowsiness, distraction, doubt, try and note those. It's really enough. Because the other ones, besides the aggregates, the other ones um, are more of about the, the progression of practice. So they're useful to know, give you a bit of direction. But it's not, it's not essential that you focus on them as meditation objects. Is there a recommended meditation technique for a beginner? Just there certainly that? is. So we have this at-home meditation course, if anyone hasn't heard of it. Welcome to take that. Lots of slots free. I think we're about half capacity right now. Today there was a group of meditators came to visit here. Some of them listened to these talks, so maybe some of them are here now. Uh, came by and they're interested in doing, coming here to practice, but they're also interested in inviting me to their cottage or farm just to do a meditation course making some connection in Ontario, that would be great if we can make more of a local connection. I guess, it, of course, it's going to happen over time. 
just we're so focused internationally that often we don't have such a strong local connection. So it would be nice to see if that goes somewhere. Anyway, they were interested in the at-home course as well. Welcome to sign up for it. The at-home course, there's some requirements, so you can read about them. The main one is that you have to be doing at least an hour of meditation a day, and that you have to be potentially able, you have to be able to get up to two hours a day, half walking, half sitting, by the end of the course. So somehow today we're very popular. This is great. Good good audience. Lots of questions, huh? Yeah. I'll be in a college dorm this fall with a roommate. How can I practice Vipassana when someone's around? Well, I guess it depends who that someone is, but college dorm is not a great... Not a great... Um, environment you know you do what you can with what you've got that's really the best advice it's it's not what you, the environment you should have to do a meditation course um, but going to college you didn't go, decide to go to college for meditation purposes so that being said Creativity is a wonderful thing. There are ways to find ways. There are lots of places. I used to, when I was at university, before I became a monk, I used to go to this top floor of our library at the university and meditate there in the book stacks, back in the back corner where no one ever went, finding places on campus where you can meditate. It's an interesting challenge. Later, when I went as a monk, uh, we set up, a group and we would meditate just anywhere. We went as a group and we meditate in the open areas, in the arboretum, just out in the the sort of the foyer area, the big open spaces indoors. So I guess uh, practicing in your bedroom with walking especially would be a bit cumbersome but there's often common rooms and places where you can where you can go. Who knows, you might even find a meditation group, find other people interested. You can set up a group and have a room and so on. Prayer rooms, maybe there's prayer rooms that'll let you use them to do walking and sitting. Buddhism kind of sneaks in there as a as a, a fellow religion and we can pretend that what we're doing is like prayer. May you speak on maintaining noting and awareness 
hearing speech. I find I get lost in conversation when speaking at a normal pace. So this seems to have come up a lot recently. I guess it's the yes, absolutely. Uh, you, you, I would say the most useful is to note feeling, feeling when you note the, when you feel the lips moving. But it's not practical, as you can see in daily life, because you're just not that sharp when you're in a meditation course or living in a way that's very peaceful then you don't have to talk so much and when you do you can be very methodical about it but I wouldn't worry too much about it besides noting the feeling of your lips moving which is not easy but besides that you can also note the emotions worry, fear, liking, disliking irritation, everything stress and you can note tension in the body you can just note that you're standing or sitting. But really, that's the sort of thing that's much more much more appropriate for an intensive meditation course. Absolutely, if you can do it. But obsessing over it probably is just going to make you stressed. If you're not doing a meditation course, if you're not practicing intensively, I'd recommend focusing mainly on the four postures, walking, standing, sitting, and lying those four are pretty obvious and you can be easily mindful of them While listening right now, should it be solely noting listening, or can we also note an itch or a pain, etc.? Absolutely. Note whatever's clearest. When there's nothing else, just go back to the rising and falling. Just note that you're sitting. Instead of listening, hearing might be better. I follow the direction of your manual to start meditating. My breath changes for the worse. I start breathing with more effort. I mm -hmm. try to be mindful about this, but no help yet. One month only into this. Yeah, that's a big part of what you're expected to see from the practice, that the mind attempts to control things just by pointing your attention to it. The mind immediately goes into its automatic control mode because that's how we're inclined to see things that we focus on. I'm going to be in control, and that's why we stress, and that's why we suffer. So that's what you're seeing. There's nothing special about the meditation. It's just a, an aspect of your personality, and it's one that you're learning is stressful and, and unproductive. So just try and note those feelings as well, disliking of them and worry and stress and whatever. If you're patient, it will become so clear to you that your mind will let go. That's the point we're looking for. You let go because you see that clinging is causing you stress and suffering.
sitting meditation, after a while I notice that I'm in an altered state. Images become more vivid. I note them, but my awareness makes make the state disappear. Guidance. Well, there's really no problem there. Yes, noting can often make the states disappear, may or may not. Look, I guess the question is, what, what, are you, do you want the states to continue? Is there, do you see a problem with that? Because that's where the problem lies in, in, in the reaction, in the judgment, in the bias. If you want the state to continue, then yeah, when it doesn't, you'll think that there's something wrong with that. So if you like the feeling or you dislike when it's gone, you have to note that as well. When you want it, when it's not there, you say wanting, liking, disliking, all of that. It's the nature of things to arise and cease. It's an important part of the understanding, the clarity that comes from practice. So you stop clinging to things and expecting them to satisfy you. I'm going back to the questions skipped. And just a note that some of the questions are from a different type of tradition, I guess different meditation practice. So maybe I, I'm not putting them here. Maybe it's good mm -hmm. to read the booklet first. Yeah, this is again a Q&A for meditation practice in our tradition. And the chat at this point is only for questions. If you don't have a question, just meditate with me, with us. If you post something in the chat that's not a question, I've asked Shraddha to just remove it, just to keep us focused. It's not anything personal. We're not going to get upset or take names or anything. It's clear that it's not going to be clear to everyone that that's what you should do. Some people come in fresh or didn't understand, and that's fine. No hard feelings, it's just practically speaking, we're for practical purposes, trying to keep things focused on questions and answers. So, Monte, these are not specifically about meditation, but I'm just going back to them so you could decide. Uh, what would be your advice to attain ego that when Western life is so centered around having an identity and personality? Well, you have to pull away. You have to find a way to change your perspective. Pulling away doesn't doesn't maybe it's not the right word, but I use it to to talk to describe a a shift. You have to make a shift independent of your surroundings, which is very hard because we're shaped by our surroundings, right? It's a good point that Western life is this way, and not just Western life, but modern life, or really any life, societal. Most societies are very similar, very focused on identity and personality in various ways and in various flavors. 
So you have to find some way to go against the grain. The meditation, of course, fits the bill. It's very much about self-development, independent development. That's why meditation has to be a, a private thing, a personal thing. It's not something that it happens in groups. You're trying to pull away to, to create habits that are independent of your surroundings, independent of any bias, without any influence by the world around you, only influenced by knowledge and wisdom and understanding. So, I mean, my advice is to meditate, and I can explain thereby why it works, because it's a way of pulling away and adjusting your Habits, your behavior, your inclination of mind independent of the world around you. Do you have to throw away your old religion? or agree with everything to practice or gain from Buddhism. I'm encouraging my mom to look into the Dhamma, but she wants to keep her relationship with Jesus. No, you don't have to throw away your old religion or agree with everything to practice or gain from Buddhism, no. Not at all. Eventually it will come to some sort of crossroads where you'll, have, where you'll have to choose but that's well past where you've gotten benefits from the practice it's okay she wants to keep her imaginary friends that's fine she'll grow out of them hopefully Is some level of success in educational or financial life beneficial before someone becomes discontent and truly serious in their practice? For example, being the Buddha and most Western meditators will teach. No. No, none of that's necessary. Because reality has nothing to do with any of that. That can be a real in inspiration for someone to leave. It can also be the opposite. But you see, reality, what we're focused on is reality, and the reality that we're focused on is experience. And it doesn't matter what sort of person you are, what your station in life is, what your wealth or power, education, none of that. Whether you're totally illiterate or have a PhD, whether you're a million, billionaire, trillionaire, whether you're a beggar on the street It's all just experience Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking None of the externals actually matter No, I mean, I get what you're saying Before someone becomes discontent and truly serious But 
think it's misleading. It's very hard to become discontent and truly serious. Take someone who is quite wise, developed. Don't think it has anything to do with any of the externalities. It has to do with their level of practice. So it comes with the practice. Don't expect yourself to be gung-ho about the meditation. Sometimes you hear meditators, well, I hear meditators say how gung-ho they are in the beginning and they become discouraged after a while, not because anything's changed, but because that's not sustainable. Feeling excited, feeling encouraged by the practice, it's not really sustainable. Because it's not a thing, it's, you know, you cling to a concept of I'm meditating and I'm into it. It's just rea it's just life. There's no flavor to it at all. It's just the flavor of peace or the flavor of clarity. Any liking or excitement about it, that's got to eventually be let go of as well. It's not predictable, it's not reliable. Truly serious in your practice, that only comes in moments. If you practice more and more, those moments get more and more frequent. But you still have to work at it. It's never something you can cling to. my best friend yesterday I'm a kind person but when I lose my control I become cruel and treat people badly I hate to lose control and be like that could meditation help if not what would meditation will help but this, you have to see the thing about meditation is that it's about observing it's not about changing so it's only an indirect change. You're going to have to see yourself do bad things potentially. You can so you can uh, you can support it by practicing like metta kindness. So practice that, but you have to be aware that mindfulness is about seeing seeing things as they are. So when you're cruel and angry, you have to be mindful of that. If you are able to be mindful of it, you'll you'll be able to to intercept it. You'll be there, ready to not react. But that takes training. In the beginning, you're going to lose control. You're going to see yourself lose control, and if you're mindful, you're going to see the disadvantages of losing control, and you're going to be less inclined to lose control in the future. You don't have to think of yourself as a kind person because then you set yourself up for disappointment. You can see you are the person that you are, which is just made up of all sorts of inconsistent and chaotic habits. When you feel bad about having lost control, you should take that as your object as well. Guilt can be a real killer. It's not it's not wrong to know that you did something wrong, but when you feel bad about it, that's just ang more anger, 
or disliking. It's not a good habit either. It's not helpful, certainly. How does one go about cultivating right view? Does it all come from the Dhamma or is some insight from meditation? It's a bit of a strange question. First of all, Dhamma, Dhamma really all, Dhamma itself comes from meditation. The, the deepest, most important Dhamma comes from meditation itself. And as for right view, the most important right view comes from meditation as well. So let's break it up. Right view is, in a mundane sense, it's views, it's, it's beliefs. So there are right views, like the view that the Buddha is going to save me or Jesus is going to save me, that's wrong view. The view that I cultivate my mind in a certain way or cultivate certain states, it's going to have an effect on my life. Well, that's right view. But on a deeper level, right view is just a right perspective. And so it's deeper than any one statement. It's just a way of looking at things that is objective, clear, wise, knowledgeable and understanding I mean, you, you, you know things as they are pain comes up you know it as pain you don't see it as a bad thing that would be wrong view that would make you angry at it upset about it when a thought comes up you don't think about it as me and mine when you have possessions you don't think of them as me or mine you just use them when you have them and when you don't have them you don't mourn their loss that's right view and it comes very much from meditation, from adjusting and shifting our perspective from one of bias, and one of conceptual experience, people and places and things, to, cons to perception of experiences, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking, which arise and cease. There is still a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. time I'm trying to think, figure out how to prioritize. Some are people asking. Well, I appreciate the challenge. <laughs> Do I just keep going without prioritizing? Some are personal questions. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, if you see any, if you see any really good meditation ones, you can push them up. But otherwise, don't, don't worry too much. You know, I mean, don't don't stress yourself out about it. Obviously. Don't, don't um, worry about pushing there, too much. Is there a difference between a subtle, quick note versus a strong, loud note? Should we match the rhythm and emphasis of the note to that of the experience? Absolutely not. The note should be mundane. It should have no flavor or quality to it whatsoever. If you're putting a flavor or quality to it, you're doing too much. 
you're you're trying to control it. There shouldn't be any inclination towards the nature of the noting whatsoever, except that it's related to the object, right? It's because you experience, it's like putting a stamp on the experience. That is that. Not that instead of that is good, that is bad, that is me, that is mine. It has to be in conjunction with an experience. You experience something, as soon as you know that you experience it, you give it a note. You you have a word for it to remind you that's what it is. If you notice some flavor to your noting, you should note that as well. If it's loud or quick or subtle, you should note all that. Knowing at the very least, say knowing, knowing. Walking meditation, I don't have the same experience as in, in sitting. I keep reading and watching your tutorials to see if I'm doing it wrong. Well, it may be that you're looking for some experience that's not what we're aiming for. The practice isn't meant to give you an experience. It is experience. The foot moving is an experience. The other foot moving is also an experience. If you're bored of the walking, well, that's also an experience. If you prefer the sitting, that's also an experience. Eventually, you have to shift your purpose from trying to gain specific experiences or results to trying to see what's right there in front of you. It's there whether you're walking or sitting. It's all the same to see it clearly and again and again and again that will help to change you for the better obviously I mean we're not talking about indoctrination we're talking about seeing is seeing hearing is hearing sitting is sitting you can't criticize this you can't say it's some sort of brainwashing or indoctrination or religious cult what kind of a cult would it be to say pain, pain? I guess it sounds kind of cultish. Maybe they're into pain. Maybe they're masochists. It's not at all what it is. Of course, if you learn anything about this, when you're walking, you say walking. When you're sitting, you say sitting. And when you feel pain, you say pain. There's no emphasis on anything. Mindfulness. That's why mindfulness is often very much accepted where Buddhism or you know, spirituality is not. Meditation is not. Mindfulness is because it's just, you can't really criticize it. Sorry, if I can just, just follow up just one quick thing is that that might be a really good example of someone who could benefit from the at-home course because we could uh, look specifically at what's going on and try and help you out with noting things that you might be missing.
meditate while they're lying down. Yes. Same thing, rising, falling. You can just say lying, lying as well. Problem with lying meditation is you often fall asleep. It's not recommended so much or encouraged so much as a main practice because of that. It's much, 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 um, it's most useful when you're anxious, restless, agitated, because it's going to have the opposite effect, right? Just like if you're sleepy and tired, you should get up and do walking or at least standing. How does one love themselves without getting attached? It's very confusing to understand. Please explain. I don't have advice for that because that's not the Buddhist teaching. To love oneself is not the Buddhist teaching. Sariputta, one of the Buddha's chief disciples, said, I have no attachment. If someone some someone some people might get upset when they get hit or beaten or hurt, but for me this being is like a carcass hung around my neck. I have no attachment or Concern for its well-being, no concern for its state, nature. It's just going to get old, sick, and die. Self-love, I think it's a bit misleading. We're not into it. And it's misleading because it appears that if you don't have self-love, then you must hate yourself. Which would, of course, probably be even worse. Well, bad as well. Self-love, self-hate, two very big problems. Much better is to not put any worth, to be worthless, have no, put no value on yourself. Why would you put value on something? Things don't have value, they just are. They arise and they cease. Put value on things, that's where problems start. And you start needing and wanting and justifying. Justifying evil. We justify evil because of valuing things. If you love yourself, you can justify a lot of evil. It's true. if one is attracted to the teachings of a certain meditation teacher but finds the teacher personality a bit annoying should that just be ignored and worked through or is a serious obstacle it doesn't sound like a serious obstacle i mean in our tradition you would say annoyed annoyed I mean, it is a bad sign, I suppose, if a teacher is not perfect. Much better to find a perfect teacher. It's just not easy to find.
I don't know what to do for a living. I've tried construction work, farming, landscaping. I may have a lot of aversion towards working. How do I look for a job? Well, mindfully, I mean, I can't, of course, comment on that too deeply, but mindfulness can help you, certainly help you deal with aversion. And there's often a lot of aversion associated with work, so very helpful to keep you employed and surviving. How can we be mindful of COVID-19 precautions without letting it run our life? I've become obsessed since the disease is deadly and so insidious. It could be anywhere, anytime. Please advise. So I agree with taking precautions. Um, wearing a mask, keeping distance, seems to me to be a kind and generous thing. We already knew this is not something new or surprising that we share diseases by coughing on each other, even by breathing on each other, by shaking hands, by touching doorknobs, sharing food, obviously, etc., etc. So this isn't something new. This is, it's just that now we have an example where this, this can be very deadly to a lot of people. It's not so much about being deadly to us. It's about being deadly to old people, sick people. So it's a very important social duty for us to comply. It's not like anyone's benefiting, not directly. It's not like we're being... There's no conspiracy here. This is either be a good person and helpful and nice and kind. It really is a good example, a good opportunity for us to be kind and thoughtful or for us to be mean and, and self-serving. So... So I, I agree with all that, but that being said, from a Buddhist perspective, it's really not that big of a deal. Death is, is everywhere. We could die of anything. And if you live your life afraid of death, it's going to get in the way of your practice, as you can see. So you, you, you mindfully take precautions, even for your own benefit, of course. You don't want to die. You don't even want to get sick. None of that's good for you or good for your practice. It could be good, good experience. It can be useful. But in the long term, you're better to stay alive. Certainly probably better to stay healthy so you can practice. But much, much more important is to be healthy in the mind. And that can only come by letting go. You don't gain anything by staying alive at the at the at the cost of losing your losing your mind the cost of giving up your clarity of mind your objectivity it's a useful thing to think about that you might die you could die anywhere it's kind of a good thing to be reminded of but Obsessing over it is just missing the point. 
Life isn't worth living if you're going to live it afraid, if you're going to live it stressed. We're not actually doing a good thing by living. If somehow all of that could keep you from suffering, then okay, but really it doesn't have anything to do with whether you're going to get it or not. Getting Getting sick has a lot to do with karma, but it can also have to do with precautions. So take precautions, for sure. It's nothing to do with stressing or worrying or freaking out over it. Mindfulness. If you're mindful, you'll see that. You'll see the futility of stressing and worrying, obsessing. Should I keep going with questions? Oh, we're done. Unless there are any really critical meditation questions. Um, Incredible. Big group. Seems like Saturday is a good time. Thanks, everyone. It's good to see. This isn't fading away, so you must be doing something right. I hope it wasn't too unpleasant for us to delete some of the comments. We maybe we'll talk about it, and if if it seems like it wasn't all that important to do, then I'll leave it up to Shraddha to decide whether that was a useful thing. Anyway, it's over now, so now you can say what you want, talk again, and chat. Chat is now open to anything, anything nice. Don't say mean or nasty things. We don't want them. You can send them to me in private. Say nice things. Say nice things, it's a good practice. Right? Didn't they say if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all? In Buddhism we kind of say that, you know, practice saying something nice. May all beings be happy. Why do we practice metta for that reason? Friendliness is what metta means. Try bring fr being friendly. Say something you think will help people. Make them, bring bring them peace. Don't say things that cause conflict and stress. Not unless you're sure it's the right time, the right place. It's going to be well received and change people in a good way. You have to be sure, and that's not easy. Oh, what did I do? Break, back up. Thank you all, Sadhu. Wish you all peace, happiness, and freedom from suffering. Have a good day.